love talking about dead people. Bop, 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 dead people. That's our new theme song. Ugh, that'd be terrible. <laughs> Although I guess in fairness, we more talk about, I mean, while we talk about them, it was while they were alive. True. And then we tend to stop talking once they die. Mm. I try to think that we give fair credence to victims. Well, and it's our also just a historic yeah. account of events. Yeah. Uh, your brunch bunch. I'm Joe. I'm Clinton. And I'm Rachel. This is season two. We're going to need a montage. Oh, man, I love a good montage. They're the best. Today's episode is brought to you by um, chocolate tarts and rubbery eggs. <laughs> they were good. You? No. They were good. They were good. I didn't think they were rubbery. I didn't think so either. Clinton Those were them. delightfully perfect over easy eggs. They were delicious. That were very rubbery. We actually had a very good brunch today. We had, uh, because it's Easter and it's season premiere of season two. So we had a bunch of foods. We had eggs and tarts. And what else? What'd you call me? <laughs> Chocolate crumb cake. And... Quiche. A bacon and cheese quiche. Yes. We had chicken wings. We had pasta egg salad. salad. Pasta salad. We had egg potato salad. Potato salad. I yeah, had egg salad. I had egg salad. I missed the egg salad. <laughs> it was all things eggs today. It's a nice balance of savory and sweet. Full on feast. And I am very full. I too am very full. It is... It is nap time. <laughs> no, Clinton. So. We got a pink sparkling champagne. Yes. And some grenadine. So it's very pink and fruity. It's also very and bubbly. It tastes, it, it's very good for brunch. It's yeah. Like, it could so be nice. like if we had a big bowl of it and just had that oh, big yeah. old ladle and just put it in a little. With dry ice around it. And maybe like you throw in some strawberries on top. Or like a scoop of sherbet. Like oh, make it very uh, like church gathering kind yes, of thing. Yes, that would have been good. Oh. Oh, I hope you're doing Pontius Pilate today. Is that who you're doing? No, I'm not doing Pontius Pilate. <laughs> I am not. We had discussed that, though. And it would have been amazing. Yeah. Do you not remember our production meeting at all? Oh, I was probably drunk. Or napping. Or napping. Because it's nap time. <laughs> With your eyes open. No, it's podcast time, guys. Uh, no, I, I think I do remember us discussing that. But it would be interesting. For those who are not religious, Pontius Pilate is the guy who's responsible for uh, having Jesus killed. So. Is he though? He was just the judge. See, it's a controversial thing. It takes a lot of discussion. I mean, he didn't throw the whip, I guess, but he's the one who told the soldiers to do it. Who, yeah, but he was about, also under pressure. What about the guy with the spear? Like, he's oh, kind he was of. Just, he was just testing him out. He's just like, you still alive up there? You yeah, know, but they say that that was the actual death blow. Do they? Yeah, he bled from that wound. Yeah, well, of course he bled from that wound. He had a spear in his ribs. Yeah, but if you're dead, then you stop bleeding. No, I think he was still alive. I think he died from suffocation from the crucifix. Like, that's that's the big thing. That you can't hold your body up like that for that long. Have you he- heard the thing where now there's, like, historical reference where crucifixion wasn't on the cross as we know it, but, like, on more of an X? Well, that's how Peter was. But Oh, no, Peter was upside down. Peter was upside down. The X makes more sense to me. It does, because then you would have more prolonged pain and horrible death. Yeah. Because your legs would be spread out too. Yeah, on an actual like cross as we know it, you'd be dead in like thirty minutes because of suffocation. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what that's what I would think. Yeah. yeah. All right. That is an interesting bit of trivia. And that was our episode on Pontius Pilate. So thank you for joining us. <laughs> we'll catch you next time. <laughs> Happy Easter. <laughs> he is risen. He came back. He's fine. <laughs> He's fine. But all Jesus aside, excuse me. Hold one minute. I have to sneeze. But do you? Maybe not. <laughs> Look at the light that's supposed to make you sneeze. Make you sneeze. <laughs> Go to the light. <laughs> oh no, I just really had a sneeze.
Mm. Okay, I guess I'm okay. All right. Oh, let's continue. No, it's gonna it's gonna come out unexpected. It maybe would be a trifecta of sneeze, burp, fart at the same time. <laughs> what we refer to as podcast gold. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes! I wouldn't. Put, I've been burping a lot. I think it's the drinks. Though. I was about to say we're drinking a lot of uh, pink bubbly champagne. Yeah. So if I burp in your ear, listeners, I apologize. No, we won't leave that in. Or will we? On our new Patreon, we will yes, leave it in. our new Patreon. Yeah, I guess, I mean, we just should do t- talk housekeeping stuff, right? Sure, yeah. Uh, like regular podcasts. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, let's see. What do we got new? So much merch. No, just kidding. We, <laughs> we have no merch. But we do have a new Patreon. It will be live by the time that this episode airs. And it's very simple. Only one tier, and you get all the free stuff. And that includes unedited episodes if you just can't get enough Mm -hmm. of our talking and our voices clinton's asmr so the (laughs) so all of the burps farts and sneezes (laughs) that you can handle will be kept in nice and then of course there'll be other stuff we'll have one extra story a month and then we're also going to put up our unaired pilot episode oh yeah the mystery pilot that nobody's heard i've heard it shut up well you were there i was there (laughs) And of course, more photo content and yeah, and whatnot. Really, whatever we decide to throw up there, you're gonna get. And the tier, I think, is we decided was just five dollars a month. Just five dollars a month, and you get all this extra stuff. And for any new things that come up, you'll be the first to be notified. Definitely, definitely worth your five bucks a month. I think so. Yeah, I we're would all, pay we're five dollars a month. So that's fifteen dollars in Patreon. Good for us. Really, our only goal is to fund our food. Yeah, every we love food, guys. <laughs> Brunch isn't cheap. So, any other new stuff going on? I don't think so. You can always catch us on our socials. Yep. Those are still very much active. Please feel free to send us an email or a tweet or I don't know what you do on Instagram to notify somebody of something. Actually, that's a good point. So we are back season two. We've incorporated a lot of feedback from our listeners, things yes. that we have received. And we're hoping to use that to improve season two or season one. So we always like to hear from our listeners. So. Yeah. So if you have something you want to tell us we're doing wrong, <laughs> we love hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> we love getting called out when we give inaccurate information uh-huh. or mispronunciation. It's not good enough just having Clinton tell us we're doing wrong things. <laughs> or you can just write to us to tell us that you hate our voices. Um, that's always a fun one. So remember. if you would like to get in touch with us in any way, you can find us on... Let's see if Clinton remembers how to do this. Find us on Facebook. Murder Brunch Podcast. Instagram. Murder Brunch. Twitter. At Murder Brunch. Uh, ooh, crap. I don't remember. What's Website. Website. <laughs> Murderbrunchpodcast.com. And you can email us directly at murderbrunchbunch at gmail.com. Lovely. And of course, don't forget to uh, subscribe and give us a rating on iTunes because that really helps us out. Yeah. And if you are listening to us, you probably listen to other podcasts, so you know the whole blah, 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 blah thing. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Are we ready to get down to the nitty gritty? I'm ready. Let's go. All right. Clinton, are you ready? Let's talk murder. All right. I will be presenting our first story today. <clears throat> Here oh, we go. At two. That would be hilarious if it really is Pontius Pilate. <laughs> it is not. Okay, all right. Okay, April 12th, 1934. James Rupert is born to Charity and Leonard Rupert. He had one older brother, Leonard Jr., and his early childhood was terrible. Mm. His mother liked to constantly remind him that he was a mistake, and she really wanted a daughter for her second child. His father had an explosively violent temper and had no true affection for his two sons. 
And he was the younger. Okay. Yeah, he was the younger one. All right. In 1947, when Leonard Jr. was 14 and James was 12, Leonard Sr. died and no one really seemed to care. Because mm. why would you? <laughs> Jeez. However, this left a father figure void in the family. Leonard Jr. took up this role and according to his father's previous example, became the verbal and mental abuser. Oh no. According to James, he was relentlessly picked on for being, quote, a weakling. Oh, I feel sympathy for James, but I'm afraid I'm not supposed to. <laughs> you, got, you just got to do what you feel, Rachel. Right. You just got to just roll with the, the coaster. I mean, to be fair, most of the guys who end up on our scale do have terrible backgrounds that do elicit sympathy. Like, yeah, most of them true. come from terrible, terrible lives. All the way up to like 15. Yeah. And then it kind of is like, all right. Because there are people who come from that terrible lifestyle and don't become serial killers. Or there are people who are assholes in their younger age and then they turn around. Yeah. You know? Let's see if James does that. (laughs) James did not do well in school. (laughs) You're going to be like, James James did did not not do that. (laughs) James did not do well in school and had no friends to speak of. He was also small. Even as an adult, he only stood about 5'5 and weighed 135 pounds. Wow. Little guy. I'm 5'8 and think of myself as relatively short. As far as men go, 5'5". Five, five, I'm 5'8". Five, I've never really thought about it. I'm like 5'10 with shoes on? To me, you're a giant. <laughs> I mean, we all stand next to our husbands and it's like, yeah. we're little guys. We've talked about that before, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Home life was so terrible for James that at 16, he ran away and tried to commit suicide by hanging himself with a bed sheet. Oh my God. He was unsuccessful and ultimately had to return home. Oh. <laughs> okay. All right. right. I, well, I was just, I was, I thought the running away and the suicide were kind of separate. Like, okay, suicide didn't work. I wouldn't go home. I'm still running away. Right. You know what I mean? I'm still like on the. But can you imagine like up. him sitting there and he's like, oh, it didn't work. And he shoved his hands in his pockets and kicked the ground and then walked back home. I know. Oof. The feeling of inadequacy would follow James until adulthood. Leonard Jr. was 43 years old. He was athletic, achieved a degree in electrical engineer, had a job with General Electric, owned a house was married to one of James's ex-girlfriends, and had eight children. Whoa. James, at 41, dropped out of college after two years, was unemployed, and still living with his mother. Oh, LJ, that's kind of a kick in the balls to James, the whole... Well, what was he supposed to do? Not be cool? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. I guess that's true. <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry, James. <laughs> Sorry, James. Do better. Yeah. Oof. To make matters worse, James owed massive amounts of money to both his mother and brother after borrowing to cover his losses in the stock market crash of 1973-74. So it's not even like his brother and mom aren't like trying to like help him out. Right. I mean, mean, they're probably assholes about it, you know. But they're fulfilling some kind of familial obligation. Yeah. Frustrated with her son's apparent inability to hold a job and constant drinking, Charity threatened to evict James from her house. So, I mean, like, evict instead of just throw out, that's, like, legal terms, right? Well, he's in his 40s, and he's probably behind on back rent, and she's probably thinking this is the only way to get him out. Yeah, so this would put us, so you said he's 41, so this would be 1975-ish? Mm-hmm. Okay. In fact, it's Easter Sunday. Oh. March 30th. 1975. Leonard Jr. brought his wife and eight children to his mother's house for the holiday. They went to church together and had an Easter egg hunt in the front yard, all while James slept off a night of drinking in his room. 
At 4 p.m., the family started preparing Easter dinner. James finally woke up and came downstairs. He found his mother, Leonard Jr., and Leonard's wife in the kitchen. Unfortunately, they were unaware that he had brought with him a loaded 357 oh Magnum, two 22 caliber handguns, and a rifle. He shot all three where they stood. What about these kids? Funny you should say that. He then turned his attention on his nephew, David, 11 years old, and two nieces, Teresa, 9, and Carol, 13, who were also in the kitchen. James Rupert shot all three as well. He moved to the living room where the rest of his nieces and nephews were playing. Anne, 12, Leonard III, 17, Michael, 16, Thomas, 15, and John, 4, were all murdered. Oh my the God. entire massacre <gasps> took no more than five minutes. Oh my God. I, oh, first of all, I'm really surprised that like the 17 year old didn't hear what was going on in the kitchen and maybe flee, like maybe take a couple of the kids with them and flee. Well, according to like coroner's report, it seemed like one of the children, and I would assume it's probably the oldest, one of the children had multiple shots as if he was trying to get away and then was like shot in the back. But the rest of them, I can only imagine they were so petrified. He shot all all the rest of those kids two times. Well, and also there's, I mean, if there were five of them in the living room making a ton of noise, maybe they didn't really hear because kids can be really loud. Yeah, and I don't know how the house was laid out. Yeah, Yeah, but also the fact that you mentioned it happened in like five minutes, like that's... Mm -hmm. It's not a lot of time to process and react. Right. And, and if you're a kid, and, and I mean, like, a gunshot is not something that you have heard before or you're not expecting. You hear a couple loud bangs, and you're like, what is that? Right. You know? And here comes your uncle. You're not going to run from your uncle. Right. This is also, um, well, I mean, this is pre-Columbine mass shootings. Yeah. Like, you're right. Like, the reaction to it would probably be very different. Mm-hmm. Oh, jeez. That's awful. After three hours in the house, James Rupert called the police and waited just inside the front door for them to arrive. The town of Hamilton, Ohio, was shocked. By all accounts, the Rupert family were nice people, and James was simply not capable of such violence. We've all heard that before. However, he was arrested and charged with 11 counts of aggravated homicide. He refused to cooperate with authorities or answer any questions. He tried to plead insanity, but his defense was not so airtight when James Rupert's actions of the day before the mass shooting came to light. On March 29th, which, by the way, some people say, or like some accounts said that that was his birthday. Mm. I don't know if that's true. Witnesses later reported seeing James along the Great Miami River shooting cans with his 357 Magnum. Later that night, he went to the 19th Hole Cocktail Lounge, where he chatted with Wanda Bishop, an employee of the bar. She later recounted James speaking of his mother's threats to evict him and stated that he, quote, needed to solve the problem. At 11 p.m., he left the bar, but soon returned. Upon his return, Wanda asked him if he had solved his problem. He replied, quote, no, not yet. That night, he stayed at the bar until 2.30 a.m. This, along with evidence that a month prior to the killing, James inquired about silencers for all of his weapons, showed premeditation. Yeah. His first trial was held in Hamilton, Ohio, where a panel of three judges found him guilty of 11 counts of murder and sentenced him to life in prison. However, 
A mistrial was declared on grounds that James Rupert could not get a fair trial in Hamilton. A second trial was held in fin- Finley, Finlay, Ohio. I think it's Finley. Finley. Sure, let's go with that. <laughs> Where he received 11 consecutive life sentences. Yeah. He appealed and was granted a new trial in 1982, at which a panel of three judges found him guilty of two counts of first-degree murder for his mother and brother, but found not guilty for the other nine victims by reason of insanity. He received two consecutive life sentences. At this point, what are you doing? Yeah. Right. You're in jail for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know? I mean, I guess their reasoning with that is that he panicked after, like, his, his targets were always his mother and his brother. Mm-hmm. And he panicked and he's like, and well, the else just, is here. quote, happened to be there. Yeah. Like, he's yeah. just like, I got to get rid of all witnesses. But he was going to turn himself in anyway, so why, why kill everybody? Like, I just, the children, it's just, I don't know how you do that. Yeah. Special note, he could not receive the death penalty at that time due to the fact that capital punishment had been suspended in the United States from 1972 to 1976, which I didn't know. I didn't know that either. All yeah. Across the whole country. I suppose so. Wow. I know that happened recently. Again, they just did away with did they? the death penalty in... In one state. Virginia? Yeah. In, in a state, it's, I mean, yeah. like, you're more likely to fry in Texas than you are right. Vermont. You know, that kind of thing. But I've never heard... I, I didn't know about it nationally. Yeah. That's interesting. As of today, James Rupert remains incarcerated at the Franklin Medical Center in Columbus, Ohio. He has come up for parole two times, once in 1995 and another in 2015, both denied. His next parole hearing is set for February 2025, at which time he will be 90 years old. So he's still kicking. He is, as far as I know. Wow. That's just horrible. Side note. Mm. A year after the murders, the house itself was open to the public. Everything inside was auctioned. The floor recarpeted because apparently it was heavily stained with blood. Duh. (laughs) And the house was then rented out again. And in Ohio, oh. apparently you don't have to tell people oh, that no. there was no. a murder there. <laughs> so oh my gosh. The family that moved in and so, you know other families since then, they've all reported paranormal activities such as hearing voices, strange unexplainable noises, heavy footsteps on the stairs, lights turning on and off, and doors slamming shut. Well, if you're going to have paranormal activity, it would be in a house where 11 people were murdered. Yep. Wow, that's awful. Family annihilators are always the worst. Like, it's just, well, I don't know if they're the worst, but they're always it, just terrible. Just, well, there's, usually there's kids involved. Yeah, there's always some much. some child that was just kind of like hanging out. Yeah. And, and like a child who does not know to be afraid. Yeah. And run. Speaking of family annihilators, just real quick side note. Did you see Ronald DeFeo died? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was the guy who killed his family in the Amityville house. Before the right. family moved in and had all the stuff happen, but I thought that was—I didn't realize he was still alive. That was I crazy. I wouldn't have thought so. Well, that happened in the sixties. I thought it was in the seventies. The murder, yeah, but I just never really thought about it. I thought he, he probably had died at some point. I mean, he was only in his twenties. Yeah, he was a young man. So, all right, so uh, Mr. James, what was his last name again? Rupert. Rupert. I had never heard that one before. Yep, it's it's actually labeled the Easter Sunday Massacre. In Ohio, I wonder. I wonder as far as like mass murders go, if that's a really big one for Ohio. Hmm. I mean, that's you know, 
That's big for anywhere. That's I guess. huge. Yeah. I mean, eleven. People. I mean, we have the people who serially kill over a large amount of time and never hit eleven. Yes, that so. is true. Mm-hmm. That's true. All right. So, shall we discuss the scale? Yes, let's discuss the scale. Okay, so Dr. Michael Stone is responsible for creating a scale of evil, basically where you can put different homicidal maniacs and <laughs> they're not all homicidal maniacs that's why it's a scale that's right our killers in question can range from category one justifiable homicide to category 22 psychopathic torture murderers with torture as their primary motive the yeah. motive need not always be sexual and i feel like because we haven't said it in a while we should mention that we are not psychologists of any kind none of us hold medical degrees <laughs> starting out season two strong <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want to even think that we're actually like doctors who know what we're talking about. We're very much, what is it, uh, detect, detect, armchair detectives as far as like armchair psychologists. Yeah, we're just shooting the shit about killers. Yeah. It's just something we find fascinating. And if you want more information about the scale, of course you can get it from The Anatomy of Evil, which is Dr. Stone's book. He also has a second book, A New Evil. You can get that. So there's a lot of insights. Yeah. He's the, he's the real MVP here. Yeah, but he doesn't podcast. So no. listen to us. As far as we know. <laughs> Dr. Stone, contact us. We love you. Uh, we're, we're, fan, we're fans of Dr. Stone. So where do you think Mr. Rupert lies on the scale? I believe that James Rupert is a category eight. Murders sparked by smoldering rage resulting sometimes in mass murder. Did you have any other ones that we could discuss? Or I mean... <sighs> I don't think he really fits really anywhere else because like category seven is highly narcissistic persons. He doesn't really show traits of being narcissistic. Number six is impetuous. This of course doesn't seem impetuous at all. He didn't just fly off the handle. And then of course, if we go up, there's jealous lovers. He, that's obviously not him and killers of people in the way. There was talk that after he like his plan was to claim insanity and then once he got out of a mental hospital quote unquote cured he would receive $300,000 inheritance but again I only saw that one place and seems unlikely this does not sound money motivated yeah I mean like if that was the case he would only he would have had so much opportunity to kill his mother so many other times yeah and for for inheritance stuff usually it's like poison you're trying to do it in a way where they can't see you and do I, don't, it. I don't know if you can get inheritance if you murder the person yeah uh, even with claim of insanity probably not yeah okay well i mean for the first time in murder brunch i don't know is this something we really need to debate I, this might be one that just kind of always falls in that category hmm. what do you think glenn i mean there's always the argument of insanity and in that he seems so calm about it like there was no it wasn't a it wasn't a quote unquote crime of passion it's not like they got in a fight and then he picked up a gun and started shooting well it depends right okay so I'm thinking what is this scenario if he's in bed drinking off a bender hung over and all he hears are children screaming and laughing in the front yard mm-hmm. and he gets pissed about that and he just decides to kill everybody that's interesting but he's got all this resentment yes. to his brother and mother to begin with, probably to his ex-girlfriend, who's now his sister-in-law, too. Who knows, right? Yeah. He could even have resentment towards his nieces and nephews because they're living a better life than he ever did. From what I've read, that was never really explored in his psyche. But it seems like his rage and his planning or his the thought process of him killing 
happened long before that morning, whether he had been woken up or not. Right. Right. So worth pointing out, so eight falls into the persons with few or no psychopathic traits, murders of a more severe type. A couple ones in the category down, which I'm not saying he does fall into. Category five is a traumatized, desperate person who kills relatives or others, yet has remorse. It doesn't. We don't really speak to his remorse level on any of this yeah, throughout all of that. Yeah, that ever mentioned or anything like that? So. No, I mean, they never said, like, when they found him, he was crying. He never, he's never apologized or anything like that. Right. I don't think he's ever expressed any kind of remorse. I mean, I do think he has suffered some trauma in his life. Just sure. From, and I'm not excusing his behavior, obviously, but, yeah. like, obviously his relationship with his dad and then his relationship with his brother and his relationship with his mom was all very Yeah, they're all fraught. bullies. Yeah. Yeah, he was bullied all of his life. And he couldn't get out from under that. Right. But I don't think you can claim insanity while knowing that what you did was wrong. Right. Right. So that remorse or whatever didn't really come into play. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it really is. So we're saying he's number eight? Eight. Murder sparked by smoldering rage resulting sometimes in mass murder. Wow. That, That sounds very much like what was recounted here. And much like our first episode, he was a small, angry man. I find that common in several of our episodes, actually. (laughs) So he falls on our chart between Bruno Fernandez de Souza. Oh, the soccer player. I'm sorry, the football player. Football player who killed his uh, girlfriend. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And Anne Stout. She was number nine. Bruno was seven, Anne's a nine. Oh, the woman who killed, killed her, her husband, husband and then yeah. you know, tried to frame that other woman. Yeah. Which is all familial domestic right. issues. So, woof. But none of them got 11. None of them got, none of them got 11. And uh, Remember that movie where The Frighteners, where he yeah. was like, I gotta get one more. And then he would compare, he's yeah. like, this person had this many, but I got 33. Which whatever. was a play on... Uh, it was Starkweather. A play on shit. No, it was a play on an actual serial killer, Starkweather, who said that same thing that he had to get. He was trying to up his. Oh, so that was just his his motive was just to have the to body have count. Body count, yeah. Wow. In the Frighteners, they made it more like he was aware of who because he kept saying like we just hit Manson or something like that. You know, he kept. But Starkweather, I think, was that was one of his things is that he was like, I gotta get this many, I gotta get this many, and sick. I have not seen that movie in forever. The Frighteners no. is actually one of my favorite movies. No, it's, it's good. <laughs> like in in like all of movie dumb. It's it's actually pretty high up. It's one of those movies that when it's on TV, I will stop and watch it. I can't help it. There's something about it. Well, Michael J. Fox. Right. Heartbeats yes. Eternal. So, uh, but yeah, it's just I don't know. I find it really funny. All right. Well, on the board, we have James Rupert. All right. At an eight. Are we ready for story two? Let's do it. Okay. This is the disappearance of Amy Lynn Bradley. Born in Virginia in May 12th, 1974, on May 12th, 1974. She attended college in Longwood, Virginia on a basketball scholarship. She's really athletic. She's really popular, well-loved. You know, she didn't have any like serious boyfriends or anything like that, but she was young. She was, she was a recent college graduate when this took place with a degree in physical education and was planning to start a new job at a computer consulting firm after returning from a cruise. No. <laughs> yes. So this is... Oh, why do you do this to me? I know. Amy Lynn Bradley disappeared off a cruise that she went on on March 21st, 1998, 
with her mother, her father, and her brother. So let's talk about the cruise. So Amy, she's a lovely girl, but let's talk about what happened. Actually, hold on. So she was a, got a degree in physical education. <laughs> yes. And was going to be a computer programmer? Uh, consulting, computer consulting firm. I don't know what position she was going to hold at that firm. I can only the hope. The physical therapist? <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> I can only hope that they require all their CEOs to go down to the basement gym. Work! <laughs> and she was in charge of keeping them in shape. Yeah. No, I'm not sure exactly what position she was going to hold. But either way, she went on an ill-fated cruise on the Royal Caribbean cruise liner, Rhapsody of the Seas. And the reason I'm putting so much emphasis on this cruise stuff is that this this is a cruise line that Clinton, Joe, and I have gone on several times. Not Rhapsody of the Seas. I don't think it's in commission anymore. And we always are scared of going missing, so. The first time we all went on a cruise together, they all had to convince me to go. Because I'm like, no, we'll go disappearing. People will get us. (laughs) The phrase sex slavery never used so much as us discussing our first cruise. I'm afraid it's going to come up today, too. I think it's because I probably saw this This story story before. All right, so March 21st, 1998. So we're going back a little bit in time. And I want us to just really pinpoint the age of 1998 because... I think a lot of safety measures that are put into place now were not in place when Amy was traveling. And maybe because of what happened with her, they are now in place. So, okay. So she's on the Rhapsody of the Seas. One of the first nights that they're out, they're heading to Curacao. Her and her brother are up late dancing. They're in one of the clubs and they actually get along with the ship's band. They meet them. They're called the Blue Orchid. They're hanging out with these guys. They're having a good time. She's up until 3.30 a.m. with Brad, her brother. They go back to her room. Brad said that they sat on her balcony until about 5 a.m. just chit-chatting. And she said that she was going to disembark to go to Curacao the next morning. But he said he might sleep in. That kind of thing. So Brad leaves. Her dad said he saw her sleeping on the balcony between 5.15 and 5.30 a.m. So if you've ever been on a cruise ship, sleeping on the balcony is not unheard of. You got the sea air. It's really, it can be really dark. It's really nice. Yeah, so. but who's up at 5 a.m.? A dad. Oh my God. <laughs> That's how dads work. This is why I'm not having kids. I will never be awake <laughs> at that time. Um, but yeah, but he catches her at 5.15, 5.30. He goes and does something. I'm guessing maybe like breakfast or something like that. But between 30 and 45 minutes, he comes back and she's gone. Her cigarettes and lighter are gone as well, but her shoes are still on the balcony. Now, she did have nine other pairs of shoes with her on this trip. Good Lord, she packs like I do. (laughs) So that's not crazy either, but that's the only thing that remains. As I mentioned, she had told Brad she had planned to disembark, and two passengers saw her riding the elevator to the top level around 6 a.m. So that's like the last known sighting, confirmed sighting, of Amy Lynn Bradley. I suppose this is before they have, like, video cameras all over the boat. That's possible, at least... If not, they may have video... Well, no, yeah. I think they probably didn't have video cameras all over the boat because they probably would have seen her passage a little bit better. Yeah. Now, her parents decide that she is missing between 6 and 6.30 because it's unlike Amy to go anywhere and not tell them she's going. So even if she was going to disembark at Curacao, she would have said, hey, I'm going into town. I'm going on a sea turtle trip or whatever she's doing. (laughs) So... Inside jokes that nobody will get. So her parents decide she is she is missing. We cannot find her, and they they beg the cruise ship to stay in the water or keep the gangplank up until they find her, because that's the only way to prove she's still on the boat. Nobody can take her off the boat. They don't listen to her, and they lower the gangplank before they even start searching for her. So. They're docked. They spend five days looking for Amy Lynn on the boat in Curacao through the entire cruise. And they don't find her. There's no foul play. 
They can't find any evidence of her going overboard or anything like that because they were pretty close to the dock when she went missing. So if she fell overboard, someone would have seen it. Or uh, she also was a very strong swimmer and she was a trained lifeguard. So that close to shore, she could have made it to shore, you know, that kind of stuff. So they never find her. On March 29th, the search is stopped and she is declared dead 12 years later. Now, here's the crazy stories about Amy Lynn Bradley. <laughs> now, I just imagine it's like they have to be there for the rest of the cruise. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, it's like, okay, well, she's gone. Um, enjoy the rest of your cruise time with us. Can we give you a free drink voucher? <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, I think they probably, I, I don't know. I think maybe this isn't recorded, but I was trying to think if I was in that position, maybe mom and dad stayed in Curacao and Brad rode back on the ship to continue looking for her on the ship. And then they stayed in Curacao because that's the only place, only land place she could have gone. Something like that. I'm not sure if they would have just like cruised back. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? I mean, it's just like at that point, it's like, what do you do? What do you do? Yeah. So despite being declared dead 12 years later, there have been numerous sites of Amy Lynn Bradley. Lots of people have reported and seen her. Not enough to like rescue her, but I guess, uh, but they have seen her. So I'm going to talk about a few of those sightings. Within 24 hours of her disappearance, a taxi driver claimed that a woman matching Bradley's description frantically approached him and asked for the location of a payphone before running away. So ran to the taxi driver. Where can I get a payphone? Speaking Spanish, I'm guessing. Not her. Maybe her. I don't know. Maybe Amy Lynn Bradley spoke Spanish. Seems unlikely. But the taxi driver, maybe. I don't know if they couldn't communicate fast enough or whatever, but then she ran away. Canadian tourists claimed to have seen a woman with tattoos matching Bradley's on a beach in Curacao. And that's striking because Amy Lynn Bradley had very distinctive tattoos. She has a baby Tasmanian devil on the back of her left shoulder bouncing a basketball. <laughs> I'm sorry. Aww. A green and blue gecko lizard around her navel, a Japanese symbol on her right ankle, and a primitive Japanese sun tattooed on her lower back. So she's got a lot of very distinct tattoos. Um, she also had a lot of piercings. She has really short hair. I think she's very noticeable. I don't think you would forget seeing Amy Lynn Bradley. About a year after Bradley's disappearance, a sailor with the U.S. Navy claimed he was confronted by a woman at a brothel who told him that her name was Amy Bradley and she was being held against her will. Rather than report this incident, he sat on the information because he was worried about facing disciplinary action for visiting the brothel. Mm-hmm. No. That sounds about right. No. This, uh, that's so annoying. Well, I mean, the whole like thing with the, the 24 hours, I saw this woman there. Well, why aren't people looking over there? Yeah, that's true. You know? But if he had a woman who claims she is Amy Bradley. Right. And an also, American woman, you would think it would be in his duty to be like, I am going to rescue you. Right. And then at that point, you have a place that you can point to and say, we need to go in there. Yeah. And but, if it's a brothel, then it's probably not legal. Well, I don't know. Well, I don't know I don't what the know. rules are. Yeah, I don't know what the rules are there. But it wasn't legal for him to be there because he's an American citizen, I guess. Mm. Or disciplinary action. I guess maybe the yeah. like, Navy doesn't like At the, the Navy, they're there. like, they, they make a big point of like venereal disease and stuff. <laughs> but either way, I don't know when he finally came forward about that, but it was far too late. And in 2005, a witness claimed she saw Bradley in a department store restroom. The shopper reported that the woman was followed into the bathroom by three men who threatened her before leaving her in the bathroom by herself. The woman then approached the witness and told her she was named Amy and from Virginia. But before she could give any more information, the men returned and dragged her out of the bathroom. Also seems to be a very 
clear sighting. I don't know. I mean, like, there's lots of women named Amy, but also from Virginia. You know, I mean, like, it's that, that kind of thing. Well, whether it is or not, it's like, obviously, there's a woman that needs, needs help. help. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then again in 2005, the Bradley family received photos of a woman identified as Jas, J-A-S, said to be employed as a sex worker in the Caribbean, who the FBI believes to be Bradley. Unfortunately, they've never managed to locate the subject of the photos. And you can actually see this photo online and compare it to Amy Limbra, and it does look a lot like it her. It looks very much like her, like her wearing a wig. Yeah, her hair's a lot longer and, like, poofier, but, like, and she's wearing a lot of makeup. But other than that, like, the cheekbones and stuff look a lot like Amy Lynn Bradley. Men associated with Amy have sketches in the Charlie Project. I don't know if you're familiar with the Charlie Project, but it is a website and organization that works on missing people. Pretty famous, and and it does a lot of good work. They do, like, the age progression pictures and things like that. So they have sketches of men who were seen with in these sightings, like, like the bathroom one and stuff like that. So those sketches are available to be seen. And parents believe, her parents believe, she befriended strangers on board the boat who convinced her to come off the boat into Curacao and then grabbed her there. So, like, they didn't, like, drag her off the boat to look suspicious. Or she got off in Curacao and met some people there and then got taken. Although, so it's, like you said, things are probably different in 98. But, like, you, you badge off. Yeah. The boat. Not just badge off, but like photo. Like they take your picture and stuff when you get on and off the boat. Yeah. So it's, and again, who knows what it was like then versus when we've done it. They probably just lowered the the gangplank and they're like, see you. Yeah. They might've checked like how many people come. Like they might've had the little clicker with the numbers, that kind of thing. But that was pretty much probably it. So yes, she's still considered missing. The FBI still offers $25,000 for her whereabouts and the family is offering 250,000. They were on Dr. Phil in 2005. And the Amy Lynn Bradley story is actually fairly famous. It's been on Unsolved Mysteries, America's Most Wanted, lots of true crime podcasts and shows and stuff like that. But it's it's still so heartbreaking. Like my my personal theory is it's been 23 years since she went missing. And she has obviously numerous attempts. If this woman in these sightings were her, numerous attempts of trying to escape. So I'm thinking they, they probably killed her. That or she's like, they, you hear that if women who are caught up with that, they become addicted to drugs you know they're fed drugs and things like that so i would think that she would just be probably out of her mind by this time i don't know if she's still alive right i mean just the fact that she was still there are still sightings of her in 2005 that's seven years after she disappeared i she seems like the type that just she she just keeps fighting she Mm -hmm. just keeps trying to get away Mm -hmm. and not gonna put up with that and it makes me sad it makes me sad too this is why i was so terrified going on a cruise but as we have said you know a couple times now it's different it's very different now and as far as i know i'm not sure i I haven't looked up how many people have been sold into sex trafficking from cruise lines these days but i have a feeling it's a lot lower number (laughs) i don't want to like be down on cruise ships you know or or the cruise lines i'm sure they're doing everything they can to prevent stuff like this from happening but it did happen and like when natalie holloway went missing in the caribbean that brought up amy lynn bradley's case again as well I'm more curious about this interaction with the taxi driver. Like, Just the 24 hours one? Yeah. It's like, was she being chased? Was she like, why did just get in the cab? Just get in the cab. Yeah, get like, in the cab and say, take me to the nearest police yeah. station. I don't know. But then again, if you're frantic and scared right. and don't know who to trust, you know what I mean? Or you can't speak the language. Yeah. It could be a thing where maybe the person trying to get her was also using a taxi. And so she doesn't know who she can. I don't know. It's really heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. 
So that is the disappearance of Amy Lynn Bradley. Well, that's a fun, lighthearted, easy story. <laughs> to be fair, none of these are ever going to be oh, lighthearted. <laughs> Another murder brunch. We're back. Mm. <laughs> Here we are together again. This is our life every Sunday. Every Sunday, forever and ever. And ever. <laughs> so if you're interested in having a bunch of downer brunches with us, <laughs> make sure you catch us for the next episode. That's why we drink first. Uh, Enduring. Enduring, yeah. You want to talk to your sources? Oh, sources. So here's the thing about my sources. One of our rules about our sources is that we never use Wikipedia. Right. Right. However, every time I went to a source on this, it was almost copy-paste Wikipedia. So I put Wikipedia down as one of my sources. But I also... It could be that whoever did the Wikipedia article just copied it from those sources. Yeah, because there was a... Hauntings in Ohio website that I also used. It had a little bit extra tidbits, like the 29th was his birthday and, and that kind of thing. But it was very much all the same article everywhere. And so Wikipedia. <laughs> all right. For the Amy Lynn Bradley case, I used historydaily.org and actually the sightings section of mine where we talked about where she was seen. So I want to say those were like quotes from historydaily.org, FBI.gov, and the Charlie Project. I have no sources. No, you don't. You too. You you're, two are you're my You're completely sources. original. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for us today. Yes. Again, if you want to reach out for us, you can reach us at our Facebook. Murder Brunch Podcast. Our Instagram. Murder Brunch. Twitter. At Murder Brunch. Gmail. Murder Brunch Bunch at gmail.com. And you can also get us at our website. Murderbrunchpodcast.com. And you can find us on all streaming services that have to do with podcasts. We're on all of them. If there's one we're not on, let us know and we will put our podcast on it. So join us next time for another tale of mayhem, murder, and snacks. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) With that one.